Good morning, everybody. Good morning, and good morning to folks down the hall in Blendon, Ampton, out in Roan County, and uh, down in Bearden. I got friends down there, too. So, uh, so um, we're together this morning wrapping up our series in Psalm 23, Life on Full. You just, just heard it uh, read for you there. Um, I've got, uh, I, listen, first of all, I hope, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you had delicious food. There's some online, some folks who are, there's sort of some sort of anti-turkey movement going on right now, people who are downplaying the deliciousness of turkey. So I don't, you know, whatever you had for Thanksgiving, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're with people you enjoyed being with. Um, turkey is good. It's not my favorite food. It's good. My favorite food is tacos. Uh, we don't have tacos traditionally at our house on Thanksgiving. If you do, more power to you. Uh, the best tacos I've ever had, I mean, far, by far the best tacos I've ever had, are at this little roadside stand uh, southwest of Tijuana, Mexico, maybe 45 minutes from the border or so, uh, a little town called La Gloria, and right by the side of the road is a little taco stand called Tacos La Gloria, and they're the best tacos in the world. I challenge any tacos to compare with these tacos. The, they make the tortillas. Like, the, the tortillas have been made seconds before your taco gets made. It's just, it's out of this world good. And I used to go down there pretty regularly, and, and so I'd get to have tacos, you know, once a year, every other year, something like that. And I would always tell people before we went about the tacos, these tacos, they're going to be unbelievable. You're going to love them. And uh, when we would get down there, I would start to get a little bit nervous. Like, maybe I oversold the tacos. <clears throat> you know, like, maybe they're... What, what I described is too good to be true. And I would always get nervous about that every time until one year when um, I was down there with a missions team and instead of working in La Gloria, we were actually serving way on the other side of Tijuana uh, building a house. And so we were serving there. I had told them about these tacos and how great they are, but I was like, it's too far away. We just won't get a chance to get them. It's too bad because they're so good. And so we're, we're building this house. There's some missionaries there who we're working with. And we had an afternoon free. And so I said, let's go get some tacos somewhere. So let's go ask them the best tacos around here. So we went and asked the missionaries, where, where are the best tacos around here? And, uh, and they were like, oh, here's the place you got to go. They told us where it is. Tacos are really good. Okay. And then they said, well, unless, I mean, unless you're really serious about it, because if you really want the best tacos, you got to go all the way to the other side of the city, this town called La Gloria, and on the side of the road, there's a little taco stand called Tacos La Gloria, and those are the best tacos in the world. And I was like, I knew it! See? And like from that point on, I was like, it's not just me. They are not too good to be true. These tacos are as good as I claim they are. And uh, so, of course, we went and got tacos, and they were blown away. Every person I've taken there has been blown away by them, because they're not too good to be true. My number one fear, probably, as we approach the end of this series, and we're going to look at the last verse of Psalm 23, my number one fear, I think, is that, is that some of us would think that the life described in Psalm 23, life on full, that's the kind of life we're talking about, that some of us would think it's too good to be true, that it's like an exaggeration that's made to make a point. It's hyperbole. And, and it's not realistic. You couldn't actually experience life like that. And I just want to take a few minutes and just try and remind us that it is not too good to be true. It's not meant to be exaggeration. It's meant, it's, this is a picture of the life that real people, regular people, not super religious, like 
live on another plane kind of people. Regular people who have people over for Thanksgiving and they drive them crazy and then you have to go back to work and you're like, did I even have a break from work? Those kinds of people, people like us, can actually live this kind of life, okay? So let's remember what Psalm 23. I know you just heard it um, on video, but let me read it to you again. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a picture of life on full. And if if you hear that and go, yeah, that sounds good, but it sounds too good to be true, I'll give you a break because it does, it really describes an amazing life. Life Um, life where we don't lack anything. That's what that first line means. I shall not want. It's not the kind of language we use, but it means I'm not gonna lack anything. Sometimes when I'm thinking about this psalm, I think of it in uh, this way. Uh, Yahweh, God is my shepherd, so I won't miss out on anything. Nothing I'm gonna miss out on that I need to have. I'm a person who lives with a lot of FOMO, um, fear of missing out, or just mo, just, I, just I'm missing out, you know? I'm not even afraid of it. It's actually happening. There's, I want to be part of anything good that's going on, and I want to experience it. And what Psalm 23 is God, says is that God has a life for me where I won't miss out on anything. Not that I'll have everything or that I'll experience everything, but I'm never going to be missing out. I'm always going to have just what I need when I need it, in the right way. He's gonna take care of everything. I'm gonna lie down in green pastures. I can just lie down in them because I've got, I'm, I'm fed. I don't need to go searching for more. He's gonna lead me by still waters. He's gonna restore my soul. Don't you long for uh, the kind of life where your soul, however you, ex- like, however you experience that or define that, but like your inner being, your soul, is restored. It's the way it's supposed to be. You're experiencing that kind of, of peace in life. That's the kind of life that's described for us. It's the kind of life that we're meant to live. With God as my leader, I won't lack anything. He'll provide everything I need, so I trust him. He's with me in everything, the deepest, darkest moments of life. He's present there with me, so I don't have to be afraid. And then I can live with him now and forever. That's the picture in this psalm. And I believe it's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. It's not for someone else. It's for you and it's for me. So is it possible? Is it realistic? Here's the big idea today. Uh, is that I can only experience life on full when I dwell with Jesus. That's what verse six tells us. That's where the, where the psalm ends. I can only, we've been talking all through this series about experiencing life on full, the fullest kind of life. Verse six reminds us, I can only live that kind of life when I dwell with Jesus. So what does that mean? You know, how, how do I do that? If you step back and, and just look at that phrase, Imagine, okay, you haven't been here for any of this series. Maybe you're not even, imagine you're not familiar with Psalm 23. If you just read that, I think what you would take it to mean is, well, I can only experience that full kind of life when I dwell with Jesus someday. 
So don't get your hopes up for tomorrow because you can only really experience this life when you die and go to heaven someday. And what I'm saying is the opposite of that. I really mean it. This verse, the, Psalm 23, verse 6, is not saying some, you can only experience this someday when you die and go to heaven. It's saying, no, you are meant to dwell with Jesus today and experience the fullest kind of life today. It's the kind of life that Jesus described. You remember, go back to the first week of this series. Mark was up here talking about just the first verse of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm not gonna lack anything. I'm gonna have life unfold. It's the kind of life that Jesus described in John chapter 10. If you go there and listen to what he says, and he describes the kind of life that he, can, that he brings as a shepherd, he says, I came that people might have life to the full, the fullest kind of life. He came so that we can have that kind of life. Not that kind of death or that kind of eternity in the future. He came that we can have that kind of life today. That's what the life that's described here is meant to be. To dwell in the house of the Lord forever is actually not about heaven someday. In the, it's, it's understandable that we take it that way. We, we gets, because of that phrase, we use this psalm a lot at funerals, and that's great. But this is not primarily about someday in heaven. Yes, of course, God's people are going to live with him for eternity in his presence. Of course, he loves us. He's not going to leave us behind. He's going to bring us to be with him for all eternity. But the phrase that's, that we find here, the house of the Lord, throughout the Old Testament, when that's used, it's used to describe not where God is far away in a heavenly place. The house of the Lord in the Old Testament describes the temple, because an Old Testament Jew knew where the house of the Lord was. They knew his address, his physical address. They said, I, I know the place. I can walk you over to, his, to, to where the house of the Lord is, the place where he lives. He's in there. And they'd take you to the temple in Jerusalem, up on the Temple Mount. And they'd take you up to the temple. And maybe you'd go in the, in the outer gates. And then they'd go there, in there, in the Holy of Holies. That's where he lives. So when they spoke of the, um, the house of the Lord, they were referring to the temple, to the place where heaven meets earth, where God's presence was known on the earth. That's the house of the Lord. And of course, for us, that's not a place in Jerusalem. Now, the house of the Lord, the place where God dwells, is in his people, by his spirit, in our hearts. So look again at verse six. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse six only makes sense in in light of verse one, the psalmist is saying, Yahweh is my leader, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, Yahweh is my leader, and because of that, I have everything that I need, and so I wanna live in his presence every day, experiencing his goodness and his love. Goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Steadfast love, that word that's translated mercy is also, is also translated steadfast love. The the goodness of God, the steadfast love of God is gonna be with me wherever I go every day of my life and I'm gonna dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, uh, this is a Psalm of David. You know, David was a shepherd who became king. 
If you look at Psalm 23, that's really the path that it takes. It starts in the fields. The Lord is my shepherd. It starts out there in the field. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and the, the, the psalmist is saying, but I want to I go from being a shepherd, from, from being with God in the field to being in his house, in his presence, where he resides in the temple. Uh, so what does that mean, to dwell with God? What does it mean if the only way you experience life on full is by dwelling with Jesus? Um, I need you to raise your hand on this one, wherever you are. I need to know, who's a non-dog owner? You don't have a dog living in your house. Okay, um, good. I used to be like you. Uh, for a lot of years of my life, I didn't have a dog. And you know what I thought? I love dogs. We got a dog. His name was Scout, Lab Shepherd Mix. And you know what I realized? I love other people's dogs. <laughs> that's, that's what I discovered. I do love dogs. I love other people's dogs. And it wasn't that I didn't love Scout. You know, we got him as a puppy. This is years ago um, before we had kids. I, it, it wasn't that I, I didn't love Scout. But I realized there's this massive difference between a dog you see on the street or a dog in the park. You throw a ball, he goes and gets it, he brings it back, it's fun. You wrestle with him a little bit, you know, and then you send him home with his owners. That's really, really fun. What I didn't realize is that once the dog is in your house, it tends to destroy everything, and you can't get mad at the dog for that. It's an animal, right? It's meant to dig holes, it's meant to chew stuff up. You're the one who invited it into, into your house, you know? And so don't complain about, about that. This is like what I was telling myself. I was like convicted of this. Like, I invited this dog to live here. Why should I be surprised that it's doing dog things? Scout had a long tail. And he would just walk through the house, and if he got happy, he would wag his tail like, his do like a dog does. But he was a lab shepherd mix. He was tall enough that his tail was just tall enough and strong enough that it would just sweep things off the coffee table or an end table, you know? Glass things, things that sh would shatter when they hit the ground. And you go, well, we have a dog living in our house. This is what happens when you're under the same roof together. Now, I'm not saying that dwelling with God is anything like dwelling with a dog in your house. <laughs> Don't hear me saying that. But what I want you to get is the massive difference between, you, you bump into somebody, say hi to them, enjoy them, think they're good, you each go, go on your way. That's, in to, that's a totally different thing than living under the same roof. So when we're talking about dwelling with God, we're talking about just, it's, it's a metaphor, but imagine living under the same roof. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about dwelling with God is, is being in his presence, experiencing him, living under the same roof. Uh, dwelling with God is being together with him, not just for a moment, but for extended periods of periods of time, like so that you're together intentionally and you're together by default because you're living under the same roof. You get to know each other. You, you, you know the ins and outs of one another because you live under the same roof, roof. So how do we do that? How do we dwell with Jesus? What does that mean? I just want to give you three things about that, okay? This is the first one. Dwelling with Jesus is living in God's kingdom, so if you need to think about, well, what does it mean to dwell with him? Well, first of all, it means, it means living in God's kingdom. You, when Jesus came, you remember back when we were studying the book of Mark? In Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark sums up the message that Jesus taught as he went through all these villages throughout Galilee. And what he taught was, the time is fulfilled. Like, like everything we've been waiting for, it's happening now. So he said, the time is fulfilled. 
The kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand. It's right here. It's available. Step into it. And how do you step into it? He said, time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He said, the promised one is here. The one we've been waiting for, the king we've been waiting for is here. His kingdom is right here. It's at hand. So step into it. The way you step into it is repent. Turn around from the way you've been going and go his way and live in his kingdom. Believe the good news that the king is here and that life with him, life in his kingdom is available now. That's dwelling with God is living in his kingdom. When you live in a kingdom, you live under the reign and authority of the king. It's the life that God always intended human beings to have. From the very beginning, in the garden, God said, I'm gonna create people. They're gonna live in my presence and we're gonna work together. They're gonna be my representatives. They're gonna go out and fill the earth and subdue it. They're gonna, they're gonna work with me, alongside me, on my behalf, in my presence. That's the kind of life that God intended for us to live, and we walked away from that. We broke it, and now Jesus comes, and he invites us back into his kingdom. He says, he says stop choosing to rule yourself, you know, eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Stop trying to decide for yourself the way you should go. Follow my reign, my rule, the way I should go. Stop choosing self-rule and isolation and instead come and live as one of my people in my kingdom under my rule. That's what he, told, he called for us to come and do. It's the kind of life we were meant to live. If you haven't entered into God's kingdom, the rest of this psalm doesn't make any sense. I mean, if, if the Lord is, this is back in verse one, if, the Lord, if Yahweh is not my shepherd, if Jesus isn't my leader, if he's not my king, that's what shepherd really is talking about in this verse. We talked about this in this series, that in Israel, the, she, that the leader of Israel was called the shepherd of Israel. So if, if Jesus isn't my king, well, then I'm not gonna live a life without lack. I'm not gonna experience his power and his presence when I walk through the darkest times in life. And so I need to step into that kind of life with him. Jesus' kingdom is unlike, the, unlike anything that the world has ever known. It's a, it's a supernatural kingdom where the, the unseen is as real or realer than what's seen. Um, it's, it's a kingdom where self-sacrificial sac, self love is the way. Like the whole way the world operates, in the world's kingdom, in, in my kingdom, in your kingdom, the way we operate is look out for yourself, take care of yourself, that's the way you get ahead. Jesus said, no, no, that's not the way it works in my kingdom. First is gonna be last, the last is gonna be first. Flip it all upside down, sacrifice yourself. The greatest love you can show for somebody else, the greatest thing you can do is lay down your life for somebody else. That's the kind of kingdom that he described and that he calls us to live in. And when we do, he comes to live with us, to dwell in us. That's the, whole that's the whole story of the Old and New Testament is that God was saying a time would come when he would come and dwell in his people, that his spirit would live in his people, and that's the time that we live in, God's spirit living in us. His, his presence is no longer in a temple in Jerusalem, but it's here in his people, right here in this room. When I went to Israel uh, six years ago, uh, it was a great experience. Some of you have been there. We were in Jerusalem. We went to the Western Wall, sometimes called the Wailing Wall. It's a famous wall in Jerusalem. People come and pray there. And 
when you went there, you may have loved your experience at the Western Wall. That's, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you did. You should. For me, it was the saddest part of the whole trip because I never really knew why people were going there to pray. And I found out the reason they go there to pray is not because the wall is holy. It's because it's as close as they can get to a spot on the Temple Mount, which was where they believed the Holy of Holies was. And because of the current state of Jerusalem, the way it's been for hundreds of years, actually, Jews can't go and worship in that spot, the Holy of Holies. So the closest they can get is the other side of this western wall. And so they go up there, and they get close to the wall, and they cram prayers into the wall, and they get as close to it as they can, because they believe that's as close as they can get to God. Can you imagine if we served a God who could be kept from us by a brick wall. Isn't that heartbreaking to think of? To, to think that I just I can't get to God. I can't get to where he is because somebody put a wall up and they won't let me get there. That's not the kind of God who is. That's not the kind of kingdom he has. It's everywhere. It's in our hearts. That's where his kingdom is. That's where he resides. And so we don't have to try and get to the other side of that wall. Jesus broke down that wall. He tore the curtain and he made a way that we could be with him and experience his, his presence wherever we are. And so our lives are meant to be different. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He's like, don't worry that you're going to lack anything, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Life in Jesus, life with Jesus in his kingdom is available now to everyone, and so he said, Jesus basically taught Psalm 23 there in the Sermon on the Mount. They aren't two separate things. He's like, look, don't worry. You're not going to lack anything. Right, look at the, the, the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. God knows how to take care of them. Of course, if you're one of his little sheep, if you're one of his people, he's going to take care of your needs. So don't worry about that. Seek first his kingdom. Seek to live under his reign and rule and all those other things. He'll take care of that. You'll experience life on full. And so 1 Peter, throughout the New Testament, 1 Peter says you're living stones being built into a spiritual house. 1 Corinthians says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God is dwelling in his people now in his kingdom. So let me say, if you have not stepped into the kingdom of God, if you've not experienced that, if you've not entered into his, into his life with him, don't wait. Do that. Step into his life and experience life uh, on full. The second thing about dwelling with Jesus, the first is it's life in his kingdom. The second thing is dwelling with Jesus is discipleship. And discipleship might be a word that's confusing to you. It's a word that's used a lot of different ways. Um, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, you saw a video maybe with uh, Denise Birchfield, uh, one of our missionaries in Germany, and she was talking about, I used to have this idea that discipleship was a program that Lifeway sells. And then discipleship is something, is something very different. It's, it's an important term for us to understand because it's the way that Jesus describes the relationship that we have with him, like a disciple and their teacher. Um, dwelling with Jesus is a life of discipleship. 
Uh, I think the, my favorite way, the thing that's helped me most in understanding that term is, uh, is not student and teacher, but um, like teacher and apprentice. Discipleship is apprenticeship to Jesus. Maybe you've heard that before. A student, this is the reason why I don't like the word student so much, a student goes and learns something from a teacher for a whole bunch of reasons. Maybe to get a degree. Uh, maybe because it's, they're just interested. Maybe because they want to have a knowledge, maybe they're like me and they want to have more knowledge in their head that they can tell other people. That's the, that's the way I like to learn stuff just so I can tell other people all the stuff I learned. Uh, or maybe they actually want to do something with it. That's the way a student might operate. But an apprentice gets close to the one who's teaching them. A, that person's a master at their craft. And so they get close to them and they learn from them what they're doing. Not just knowledge, not information, but really how to do something. That's what discipleship is. It's apprenticeship. It's getting close to Jesus and understanding. Just like an apprentice goes, okay, I'm going to do the kind of stuff that you do. I want to be able to do the same work that you do. Now, the apprentice might never be able to do it as well. If, if their teacher is really a master of their craft, a master of their trade, they may never do it to the same level that they did, but that doesn't stop them from going, I wanna learn to do what you're doing. That's what we do with Jesus. We draw near to him, we dwell with him, we get close to him, we spend our days with him, watching him, learning him, as he's described in his word, as he reveals himself by his spirit, we get close enough to see what he's like, see what he's doing, and allow him to transform us into the kinds of people who do the kinds of things that he did. I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. You won't do the same things the same way. You won't, you're, don't try, I'm not trying to be Jesus, but I'm trying to do the work that he does in the way that I can do it as he teaches me to do it. Dwelling with Jesus is discipleship. A disciple follows. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. I'm gonna follow him. A disciple shares life with Jesus. A disciple learns from him. A disciple is transformed by him. A disciple does his kind of work, sharing the good news, making other disciples. Psalm 23 is a life to be lived, and if you look at the disciples who lived with and walked with Jesus, they lived their life with him. Oftentimes not under the same roof, because they were sleeping outside when they were on the road, but oftentimes under the same roof. But they dwelt with Jesus. They lived their life with him. They, they didn't just do ministry with Jesus, right? Every part of their life was with him. They ate meals with him. They walked down the road with him. That's a picture of dwelling with Jesus, is to invite him to bring him in at the center of every part of our lives. That's a gospel-centered life. It's like, my life with Jesus isn't just at church. My life with Jesus isn't just when I'm reading the Bible. My life with Jesus isn't just when I pray. It's in every part of my life. If he, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the deepest, darkest valley, you're with me. Dwelling with Jesus is being aware of his presence in every moment, whatever we are doing. I was trying to think of uh, a good example of, of dwelling with Jesus as a disciple um, in our day and age. What is, what is it like to bring life with Jesus into everything I do, every moment? There's a lot of good examples out there. The one that struck me most recently it's a woman who wrote a book. You, some, a bunch of you have probably read it. Her name's Corey Tenboom. She's no longer alive. She lived, uh, well, most of the 20th century, I guess. She lived a long time. She, 
Um, she was from the Netherlands. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. Maybe you've, you've read it or heard of it. Uh, and it's a book, it's an incredible story about her life. And what's most fascinating about it is that she lived in the Netherlands. They, they, it's called The Hiding Place. They hid Jews in their house uh, during the Nazi occupation during World War II. And that's what the book is famous for. That's what it's titled for. But I was rereading that book recently. I, I would encourage you, read that book Get the audiobook. When you go on a go to visit the relatives um, for Christmas, listen to the audiobook in the car with your family, um, or read the book aloud together. I think it is so good. And yes, it's an amazing story about what happened during World War II. But as you read it or listen to it, listen to it through the lens of a disciple of Jesus, somebody who's bringing the presence of God, experiencing the presence of God in everything they do. Because what you notice about Corey and her family is it's not just when Nazis are knocking at the door that they're engaged with God. It's in everything they do. It just keeps coming up all the time. You, you think about our values as a church, gospel-centered. These are gospel-centered people. Jesus and life with him is at the center of all they do. They're word empowered. You just you read the book and you're like, they're constantly engaging with God by his word. They're spirit empowered. Read the book and notice how often Corey has this experience where she's talking to God or she's just going through life and something comes to her mind and she pays attention to it and goes, that might be from God. I better do something with this. She's living a spirit-empowered kind of life, relationally connected. Her whole life becomes about, okay, how do we live out self-sacrificial love for God and for others? It's like, yes, it's a book about an amazing thing that God used her to do in the lives of people who needed to be saved from the Nazis. It is that, no doubt, but it's an even more incredible picture of daily ongoing moment by moment life with God. That's the kind of life we were meant to live as his disciples. So dwelling with God is living in his kingdom. It's stepping into the life that he offers, being born into a new life with him. Uh, dwelling with Jesus is, um, is living as a disciple, following him where he goes, engaging with life every, in, in every part of our lives, engaging with him. Dwelling with Jesus requires engagement. That's the third thing. It requires engagement. And sometimes we miss this part. This does not happen automatically. We have to, we have to engage with the presence of God in our lives. Now listen, God can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants, okay? So he can, if he wants... He can just go, you are gonna be aware of me every moment of the day. You're gonna know I'm there. You're gonna remember I'm there. You're gonna be talking to me. I'm gonna be talking to you. And we're, he can just do that. But in my experience, he usually doesn't. Most of the time, he's gentle and he waits and he doesn't force himself on us or on anyone. Instead, he's present. He's here with us. And he waits for us to turn and face him, to turn our hearts towards him, turn our minds towards him, to recognize that he's present, that he's in the room with us, not just here at church, wherever we are. To, he waits for us to engage with him, and that takes action. It takes engagement. It takes intention. It takes effort. You have to engage. You know how I know this, this, this is for sure the way it works? Because even Jesus did it. Now think about it. Life in his kingdom? Jesus is the king in the kingdom. Um, 
be a disciple? Jesus is the master. He's the teacher who we're seeking to learn from. Jesus is the very presence of God. He is God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So if anybody could say, I got it, I'm good, I can coast from here on out, it would be Jesus. And yet, he didn't live a life where he coasted. You know what he did? He was constantly taking action, putting effort, intention towards engaging with his father. So, he set aside time to pray. So, he spent time in the scripture. So, he was relationally connected with other people. And he discussed what's going on with God. He, he had conversations about their life with the Father together. He set aside time to go away, not so he could escape from the world. Being with God isn't about escaping from the world. No, he would go set aside, set aside time to be alone with the Father, and then he would come and live that out with, with all the people who were around him. Jesus lived an intentional life of taking action to engage with God. If he has to do that, then surely I have to do that. And that makes some people nervous. They go, well, wait a second. If, if I'm taking action on this, if I, if I gotta do some work, that's the way the Bible describes it, Paul calls it work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Run the race marked out before you. Paul says, I beat my body. I work. I discipline myself. Some people get nervous and go, if you're talking about work and taking action, are you talking about somehow earning, um, earning your salvation, earning favor with God? I'll remind you of something I've reminded you of before. Dallas Willard, um, who we've quoted a lot in this series because he wrote a great book on Psalm 23 called Life Without Lack. He, rather well-known, says this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's the action of going after, pursuing God, pursuing his presence. It's opposed to earning this idea that somehow I need to prove myself worthy. I'm not worthy. There's nothing for me to prove with God, but that doesn't mean I don't take action to be near him. And so we ask, so, so what we should do, what I hope you'll do is say, okay, what can I do? What would help me engage with Jesus? What would help me dwell with Jesus? Not throughout the week, but throughout the day. I don't know about you, but for me, and again, when we talk about life without lack and this full kind of life, it's not about can I do more stuff to get God to do what I want? That's not it. But if, if this full life is life in his presence, then we've got to figure out how do I make sure I'm experiencing his presence? Not so I'm working harder to do more work, but so I'm experiencing him more. That's what we want to go after. And it does require effort. It requires a plan. It requires me to go, okay, I can't wait until next Sunday. I can't, I'm, I'm speaking for myself. I can't wait until next Sunday. I will forget about God and what he's doing and I will do my own thing if I just try and coast. And even if I try and do something every day, that's not enough. I'll do that thing in the morning and the rest of the day, I won't, I won't think about God. I'll do it my own way. I need more than that. So that's why we, I mean, the, the live it out that we give you, it's in the bulletin if you're not familiar with that. It's a little, we call it a, a discipleship guide. The reason we give you that is so that you can engage with God daily, but hopefully beyond just the morning. We put questions in there. The goal is not just to answer a question. People come up to me frequently and will say, like, oh, the question this morning, I've, 
I didn't know how to answer that question. I'm like, great. That's great if you don't know how to answer the question. Uh, when we're writing the questions, sometimes we don't know how to answer the question. That's okay. The idea is to wrestle with it, to engage with God. If all you do in the morning when you pick up the live it out is go, I don't know how I'd answer that. Or ask God the question and go, I don't know what he's saying to me. And you listen to the song that we put there and you spend some time worshiping with him and telling him what's on your heart and telling him how much you love him. And then the rest of the day you just wrestle with, I don't know how I'd answer that question. Or God, what are you trying to say with me? That's, the, that's great because then you're engaged with him throughout the day. You're staying connected with him. Your mind is staying on him. That's what we want to do. It's, it's about how, how to bring Jesus into our hearts and into our minds to be aware of his presence all throughout the day. It takes a plan to do that. So what I would encourage you to do is make a plan to do that. Figure out, how am I gonna do that tomorrow? Don't worry about the rest of the week. Just go, what could I do tomorrow that would help me be aware of the presence of Jesus with me in everything I do? Maybe it's a little prayer you pray throughout the day. Maybe it's a little reminder on your phone, something on your calendar. Maybe it's a visual cue. Maybe it's everything, every time you walk through a door, every time I walk through a doorway, I'm gonna try and remember, God, you're, Jesus, you're with me as I walk through this doorway. You're with me in what's next. Just to remember that, not to, just, to, just a way to bring a reminder of his presence into your, into your every moment during the day. And make a plan, and I bet you'll get 80% of it wrong. I usually do. Like, uh, oh, I had this great idea of what I was gonna do and I forgot to do a whole bunch of it. Okay, but just start somewhere with going, I wanna, I wanna dwell with you today, Jesus. What could help me do that? And before you start feeling all weighed down by that, burdened down by that, remember what Jesus says in Matthew 11. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't exaggeration. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from, learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The idea is to dwell with Jesus as he is. This kind of shepherd He's not meant to pile burdens on us, so now we gotta work harder. He's meant to carry our burdens. So I, I got good advice from someone in a book uh, talking about making a plan. How do you spend a day with Jesus? And what he said was like, okay, you make a plan to start your day in his presence, and you get down on your knees and spend some time in prayer, just a few minutes with him. He said, okay, so tomorrow you might go and try and do that. And you wake up in the morning, and you go, ah, oh, what I love to do, and this is me, what I love to do in the morning is make a cup of coffee. And read the news, watch the news, scroll, you know, whatever. I want to see what's going on in the world. Okay, if that happens, don't go, oh no, I messed it all up. I didn't get down on my knees and pray. It's good to get down on your knees and pray, but if your habit, old habits die hard. So if you find yourself drinking a cup of coffee and watching the news, then do it with Jesus. He's with you even in that. Go, okay, I'm watching the news with you, Jesus. I'm drinking my coffee with you. And so when I drink the coffee, I'll go, man, God, you made the world so good, there's coffee beans in it. I love you. <laughs> you watch the news and you go, okay, what am I, am I worried about this? What does that mean in my heart, God? Why am I worried about what's going on in the world? Where are you in all of that? Where are you in me? What do I need to do with you if this is what's going on in the world? What kind of person do I need to be? If you start your day that way, whatever you're doing, engaging with him, experiencing his presence, dwelling with him, 
then I bet the next day that you wake up, it's gonna be a lot easier to start to dwell with him throughout the day. So just start wherever you are. But pay attention to him. Pay attention to his presence. Start the conversation with him and keep it going throughout the day. And you know, the reason we can do that, the reason we can experience God with us wherever we are, whatever we're doing, is because Jesus made a way through, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. So we're gonna celebrate that in communion. Um, we need reminders throughout the day, and it might be a thing on your phone, or it might be a little note on your mirror or whatever, but we also need tangible reminders like this. Bread and drink. Jesus is so smart. He knew people are always gonna have that. Wherever they go, whatever they do, they might not have a little reminder on their calendar, but they're always gonna have food and drink. And so he took that and he used that as a reminder of what he's done for us. A reminder of the kind of life we're describing. Life without lack is only available because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so in each room, on each campus, we're gonna celebrate communion together. We're gonna do that in just a moment. As we prepare to do that, I just wanna pray for us. God, we are grateful that you, in your wisdom, in your, um, in your power, in your understanding of everything, that you weren't, you weren't content to leave us in our sin, in our, um, in our running from you, in our isolation from you, but instead you opened up the gates of heaven through Jesus. That you, God, came in the flesh. You lived a life among regular people like us, showing your kingdom, showing what life is like, what's possible in you. God, you invited us into that. And then you went to the cross. Jesus, on the cross, you shed your blood so that we could be with you to pay a sacrifice, to pay a price that we couldn't pay. And then you rose from the dead, conquering death, showing us that life with you now and forever is available. And we're grateful for that. And we celebrate that and we worship you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so we're gonna share in the bread and the cup. So take that little, um, that little communion pack you have and open that up and take the bread and remember that on, uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread that was on the table, it's what was there, and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. His body was broken for us. Let's remember that and celebrate that as we take and we eat. And then after dinner, there were drinks on the table. And so Jesus took a cup. They didn't understand what he was talking about, but he said, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. He said, because of my blood, because I, of my death and resurrection, there's a new covenant, a new way of relating to God where he's not on the other side of a wall or on the other side of a curtain, but no, he is coming to live with his people. Our sin, all of our sin, past and present, paid for a new covenant in my blood. That's something that we, that we celebrate, something we worship him for. So take and drink and worship him as you do.
God has been so good to us. He's made a way for us to experience life in his presence, to dwell with him now and forever. We want to worship him for that. Would you stand up on your feet? We're going to worship him.